So, friends and neighbors, great to be here. And uh, I'm, I was so thrilled, actually, when uh, Pastor uh, Dick uh, Wiedenhoff uh, called to, to see if I was available sometime this summer, and, and I was glad that there was a match, because usually on Sundays I'm speaking somewhere in the city. So I was thrilled. So tonight, uh, this morning, I'd like to share with you about Melchizedek and about a key, the most important key, I think, to uh, his priesthood, his ministry, his leadership with Abraham. And uh, when you have a, a priest that Abraham... Junior church, all right. Our children can stay with their parents here too because we have our, our neighbors here. They're welcome to stay with parents. All right, back to the story. Melchizedek. You know, people have played with this name of Melchizedek and, and who he was, and literally all we know about him is found in these uh, three verses, the last uh, three verses that uh, were read. Um, and uh, he was king of Salem, which is probably an early version of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem means the dwelling of peace. Salem means peace. Um, and tragically, uh, that area is one of the areas of the least peace in the world for a long time. So it's uh, more an expression of people's hope rather than a uh, description of reality. And uh, he was also a priest of God Most High. Um, he was not a Jew. Uh, there are many leaders in the Old Testament that were not Jews that were godly people. And sometimes we kind of simplify thinking all the Old Testament is about uh, uh, Hebrew leadership. And it's not. It's huge. Uh, many other great leaders. But uh, uh, Abraham uh, hears about his uh, nephew uh, getting captured. And he uh, uh, recruits a bunch of people to uh, help him, many of them on his own a very large uh, ranch staff, uh, but other people too. And he's able to uh, rescue his nephew and all the leadership of uh, several other cities, uh, Sodom and, and some other places. So uh, he's on the way back, and he's, he lives kind of near where uh, Jerusalem is or Salem. I'm sure that he knew who uh, Melchizedek was. And Melchizedek comes out and meets him, it says, with bread and wine. Now, the word for bread here simply means food. It's not uh, simply, um, you know, sliced bread and a, and a, a bottle of wine, uh, but it was a celebration. And, and so this is actually, with bread and wine, the first Eucharist recorded in history. The word Eucharist is simply the Greek word for Thanksgiving. It was a time of Thanksgiving that even though Abraham was outnumbered, hugely outnumbered, he was able to have a huge victory and uh, rescue tons of people, including his nephew, who had a strained relationship anyway, but he was there to certainly uh, uh, motivated, highly motivated to rescue these people from uh, being POWs. And uh, so the first unique thing that Melchizedek does in these three verses is that he offers the first Thanksgiving or Eucharist uh, with bread and wine. Another thing is Abraham uh, gives him an offering, uh, a tithe of all the loot that they were able to get back, which is pretty significant too. So 
So Abraham, we, we honor so many wives, but Abraham himself honored Melchizedek. So it elevates the point of Melchizedek being a, a huge model for all of us. And the, the words of Melchizedek are, are very simple. Melchizedek says, Blessed are you, Abraham, by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, who turned your enemies into your hand. Now, Melchizedek's not saying that Abraham didn't do anything. But uh, the effect of his extreme victory being outnumbered was still a great gift of God. Uh, and his own focus, his own commitment to, to win probably was a major contribution to the success of that military effort. Um, the uh, four things then that Melchizedek does that are the first time ever recorded. One, the first Eucharist. Secondly, the first offering to uh, support the extraordinary priest, Melchizedek. Uh, third, a human blessing God. Melchizedek is recorded here, blessing God. Now, God, it says many times in the scripture before this, God blessed humans. But this is the first time humans are blessing God. And the fourth unique thing is, this is the first recorded situation where a human blesses another human. And that, I think, is probably the most distinctive and powerful aspect of Melchizedek priesthood, to which I'd like to induct all of you today. All right? So what does it mean to bless someone else? Now, in English translations of the Bible, it's really confusing because to be blessed simply means to be happy. And the Hebrew word for that is asher. But to bless someone else is a transitive verb. Remember, uh, third grade grammar does matter. All right? You're a third grade uh, grammar teacher? Okay, good. But to bless someone else in Hebrew is not asher, it's barak. And one great way to remember it is his first name of our previous president. So what's the word for blessing someone else in Hebrew? You got it. You will never forget. Now in the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which was around more than 200 years before Jesus, and widely read in uh, the Western world, uh, and even in uh, parts of Asia. The Greek word for being happy, to be blessed as a condition, is makario. But to bless someone else is a whole different concept, whole different word. They shouldn't even be the same or similar words in English. To bless someone else, the Greek word is eulogize. To eulogize someone else. But, hey, here, Abraham is not dead. Why is Melchizedek eulogizing him? Now, eulogies, by the way, are, are kind of weird. When uh, uh, someone passes away and pastor or relative or friend gives a eulogy, it's, it's like the one time where it's okay for pastor to lie, all right? <laughs> to say nice things that... 
maybe aren't true or we all know aren't true, right? So the story is told of a widow that was uh, sitting in the front row and, and, and children uh, next to her. And a pastor was doing this eulogy and going on and on about the man in the casket was a faithful husband, uh, a wonderful citizen, uh, you know, tremendous worker, uh, you know, uh, a man of great integrity, just on and on. And, and the widow was seen poking the, the eldest child, saying, would you please go up there and see if that's daddy he's talking about? Now, the word to bless someone else, the transitive word, word used here in the Greek translation of Genesis 14, uh, to eulogize in the biblical sense is never about someone dead. Not one case. Now, good things are said about the dead, but the word eulogize is not used. This word is a very special word of praise that you can do. So this is why you're, you're here. I, I'm sorry we didn't warn you, but this is a deduction opportunity to be part of Melchizedek Priesthood. There are five things that characterize every biblical case of a person being blessed. Whether God blesses him or her. In Genesis 1, the, our first ancestors were blessed by God. You know, God observes that what he made was good over and over. But when humans are created, God says to them, you're good. Because he has creatures that know language, can respond to language. Uh, so the, the idea of uh, being blessed, there are five traits. One is, the person's alive. Secondly, the person's there to hear it. Sometimes we're more comfortable saying nice things about someone when they're not there. We don't want them to get the big head. Yeah, that's just sick, right? Say the nice things when they can hear it. Third, they're touched in some way. Not invasively, but with, with children, maybe hand on, on the on the head, when Jesus blessed the children, it says he took them up in his arms and blessed them. So nothing at a distance. When the priests in uh, Numbers chapter 6 you know, stood at the congregation and, and said to all the people of Israel, the Lord bless you and keep you. Or, Lord, make his face shine upon you. Uh, when they did that, they raised their hand symbolically over the congregation. There was a, a symbolic touch, at least. So the person's alive. The person's there to hear it. The person is touched in some way. And, and fourth, and this is the hardest one to see, but it's true in every case. The person is not praised for what she or he has done. But for what she or he is or will do. It's anticipatory praise. 
a prophetic praise that helps empower a person to do well if someone says, you can do it, right? Someone uh, urges a person on to, to, you know, take a step toward their, their dreams or their goals or their sense of calling. Uh, but, but the praise, whether God's praising or blessing us or, or um, another human is blessing, if they really are doing the thing that Melchizedek did, did, it's based on who the person is. So that Abram is not praised in this situation for the huge accomplishment of winning this battle. I'm sure there was plenty of praise for Abram from other people, but Melchizedek said, you are blessed by God, maker of heaven and earth, unconditionally, not based on having achieved something. Isn't that profound? Now, when you look at it, if our earliest ancestors are blessed by God, before they do anything, they're still wet from creation. It's not based on what they've accomplished. And I'm sure uh, the creator was not uh, blind to uh, uh, failures that they would make, right? Uh, he, he wasn't clueless, but yet what he made was good. So he blessed the goodness of their nature, their uh, potential, their uh, all the giftedness of being human. He affirmed. So uh, repeatedly in the scriptures, when people are blessed, it empowers them to do well. They're, they're praised later for accomplishments, but the blessing is an empowerment, is a uh, way of affirming that what you are is tremendously precious and what you will do is awesome. Now, to give some uh, biblical example, and we'll, we'll see how, how the model uh, gets filled out with the fifth trait that the blessing goes along with um, being guided and resourced to actually accomplish that too. Not just a nice word. And bye-bye, see you later. Stay in touch. Be sure to write your Christmas cards. Uh, but instead, uh, resourcing someone. Now, even though the word blessing isn't used in the story of Jesus' baptism, um, the point of the voice from heaven was still a blessing. Because the voice from heaven says, when, when the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove on Jesus, uh, the, the voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, right after that, Jesus goes through the trial and temptation period. But the Father said, I'm pleased with you before the trial and temptation. We would have waited till after to see how it worked out, right? But the empowerment, and I believe Jesus did so well in that time of trial because he already had this awesome affirmation. And then it says the angels were with him and, and the challenges that he faced. So uh, thinking even of Jesus' life, what was the first thing ever said to Jesus? 
to show how important blessing is. What's the very first thing ever said to Jesus? It was a blessing because just days after Jesus being conceived in the womb of Mary, Mary goes to Elizabeth's house, and as she walks in, Elizabeth pronounces a blessing on baby Jesus, who was so few cells at this point that it would take a a powerful modern uh, microscope to even detect. But Jesus, as only a beginning development uh, as a fetus inside Mary, is blessed by Elizabeth. Isn't that awesome? And then each time blessing comes up in the scripture, in Jesus' life, it's it's awesome uh, too. Because you have, for example, uh, people bringing children for Jesus to just, you know, touch them. Uh, and each time the story is that Jesus, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, picks them up in his, his arms and blesses them. Now, uh, even in, in Mark, the word is uh, that the, the children were just born children. All right? So these are not children that got, you know, seven stars on their report card uh, in, in kindergarten. These are ones that had just arrived, just days old or months old, and Jesus praises them clearly for what they were as human beings and what their potential of accomplishment was. Um, and and uh, when you think about it, well, what did those little babies accomplish? Well, forgive me for saying this in church, but they pooped in their pants. They kept their parents awake. They were a strain on the, on the family budget, right? What's there to praise? But from God's point of view, from a Melchizedek point of view, from a, a, a Jesus point of view, they were the most precious things on earth, children. Jesus even goes to a bit of an extreme when he says, even if someone curses you. Isn't that amazing? Even if someone curses you, says something awful against you, whatever that, that might imply. And I think all of us have, have probably, uh, whether it's road rage or bumping into someone on the sidewalk or whatever, people uh, uh, in New York especially can get uh, a pretty full of attitude, shall we say, uh, and say a few things that we wouldn't uh, repeat anywhere, Uh, even an impolite company. But uh, Jesus says, if someone curses you, bless them. Now, that doesn't mean you have to use the word bless. Oh, God bless you. No, but you look for something good about them, about who they are or what they can do to point out and to affirm in in a few words, just to affirm your recognition of their value, even though they've tried to trash on you. Their trashing on you doesn't count because you've already been blessed by God. So, um, you know, they haven't hurt you anyway. But if you return a curse for the blessing, now that is so powerful that Paul, the Apostle Paul, repeats that same statement twice. In Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 4. 
And Peter, the Apostle Peter, in his first letter in, in chapter 3, says it too. If anyone curses you, bless them back. It's this courageous love of enemies, this awesome transformation of conversation to, to make it always something good, even if uh, evil is what is in uh, people's heart. But probably the most dramatic is at the very end. You know the story how the apostles had uh, denied Jesus. One had, had uh, betrayed him. And mostly they were clueless, uh, amazingly clueless. They had their own ideas of what was in the, the Jesus project that were uh, quite different from Jesus' own ministry, even though many of them had, had followed him, had assisted in various ways, uh, maybe two years, three years. We don't know exactly. But having all this failure, and even as Jesus was crucified, to have only his mother and, and John, one of the apostles, even to stand there. I mean, what a total disappointment. These, these apostles were bunglers, were really complicated failures. And yet, as Jesus prepares to ascend into heaven, as he's on that mountain and he's talking with them, giving them whatever final wisdom, affirming the, the Holy Spirit uh, to empower them, uh, Jesus, it says the last thing that Jesus did in the last four verses of Luke, it says that Jesus blessed each of the apostles. He affirmed them. You know, he's, he's saying uh, uh, to Peter, uh, Peter, you're, you're, you're bold. You have quality. You have the strength to, to do great things. He's saying to, uh, to John, what a loving person you are. You're eager to reach out. Whatever, whatever blessings he's saying, and specifically to the apostles. And then the next verse says, and as he ascended into heaven, he continued to bless them. Can you imagine that? Now, I've seen many movies that try to capture the story of Jesus, but not one of them have I seen where they have Jesus shouting down blessings to the apostles as he ascends into the sky. Was blessing important for Jesus? I would say so. First thing ever said to Jesus, a blessing. What do you spend time with the children doing? Affirming praising, commending them. What do you say to do with people that curse us? Bless them. And then the last thing, dramatic last thing that would be just welded, just galvanized into their memories, into their hearts, into their guts. Jesus ascending into heaven and blessing each one of them. So what does it mean to bless? Five things going on. person's alive. Person's there to hear it. Person is touched in some way. Person is praised, commended, encouraged. Not for what they have done. Hey, do that. Don't limit your praise for what someone accomplishes. But add the blessing which affirms them and what they shall do. And blessing always involves resourcing. Even with the apostles. Jesus promised the coming of the Spirit. 
He had equipped them with tremendous knowledge. They were ready. So that blessing was, all five points of the blessing were there. Now, uh, to me, this is so deep. Because in my own experience, it was one person who saw something of value in me when no one else did. And affirmed that. Now, I think she had nothing to go on. Absolutely. Because when I was in sixth grade, I was four and a half or more years behind in everything. And I know because I was able to, to actually see a standardized test I took halfway through sixth grade. And I could tell you the grade I got. And it was first grade, fifth month, or, you know, second grade, first month for reading, for math, for vocabulary building, the works. And that was because no one figured out that, that I couldn't see the chalkboard at all. Uh, I need a refraction of 14 in both eyes. And, and first grade, second grade, excuse me, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, nobody figured out that I wasn't just a bad kid who was constantly causing disruption in the classroom, constantly teachers pest, that in fact, I didn't even know anything was going on in the front of the room. It was all just blurry. And when they put uh, glasses on me for the first time, for the first time I could see steps to climb. And it was confusing. I was really clumsy the next two weeks because I had all this information to deal with. And I'd been able to cope with just with a fuzzy world. But I'm also dyslexic. So that, uh, so now that I'm actually seeing, I'm seeing everything backwards. All right? So they thought I was retarded. Uh, it was a great joy, David, when I took Hebrew. Because for the first time in my life, I could read the way God made me to read from right to left. And I was in a study group in the seminary, and other guys were saying, oh, I'm just having a headache, just getting my brain to go right to left is impossible. I, I let them just, you know, complain, complain, complain. I really got tired of complaining. I said, hey, guys, that's how English is with me. So they were like, ah! And the third reason, so is uh, uh you know, extreme myopia, dyslexia, and third, I was convinced I was worthless. I was convinced I could not be a success. So, uh, this sixth grade teacher says to me halfway through the year, she said, you know, I think you've got a lot of ability. And, and I don't believe her for a while. But she says, here's the plan. And, and I'll tell you just briefly. We could spell out more in the discussion time. What do I have now? I've got four minutes, five minutes. Okay. So here's, here's the plan. So you can just see how this idea of blessing fit in Mrs. Smith's plan. All right? So she said, uh, first of all, you have to promise. When I whisper something in your ear, you don't tell anybody. 
So I said, sure. So, uh, so she would stop by my desk uh, once or twice a day, and she'd whisper something in my ear, like, you can do it. You will succeed. You have what it takes. I believe in you. I believe in you. Just four words. And then walk away. And all the kids wanted to know, what's she telling you? I said, it's a secret. So I graduated from being teacher's pest to being teacher's pet. That felt good, actually. I knew all about being teacher's pest. Then, and she said, I'm keeping you after school. Now, that's the usual routine anyway. But this time, from now on, I'm going to catch you up on math. Because you can't understand, even in the lowest, slowest math group, you're totally clueless because you've missed so much. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tutor you in this. And third, I'm going to give you extra homework, and you're required to do the, the regular homework plus the extra homework, and your parents are supporting me in this. So no privileges at home until you've done the extra homework plus the regular homework. And I didn't even have a vote on this one. All right? Well, anyway, briefly, what happened, and all these factors mattered, I moved from getting D minuses in the slowest reading group, excuse me, the slowest math group. She wasn't touching reading first. Slowest math group, getting just D minuses, to actually getting A's and B's and loving it. And so uh, after a couple months, she moved me into the middle math group. It was a challenge, but again, that afternoon, every afternoon, 15 minutes, 20 minutes of help from her, I, I, was, I was liking it. It was fun. Uh, math is exciting. And, I, and, and the last three, and I you know, started doing better and better, and then the last three days of school, she put me in the advanced math group. I was lost. I got nothing done, but it was her way of messing up with a really discouraged mind. Last day of school, she said, here's the next step. Your parents and I have signed you up for a reading contest in a library across town where they don't know you. And to apply for it, you have to answer some questions, but I'll... I'll help you out. So it was a little bit of cheating. And uh, uh, then I said, well, I can't do it because my dad's got the car all day, impossible. She said, no problem. I have a volunteer who will drive you to that library every week. And so we sat around. I sat around with, you know, 12, 15 other kids my age around a big table to talk about for an hour or so. Each of us had our our three or four minutes, to talk about what we've read the previous six days. So this is a kind of a holy peer pressure where we, we've got to come up with something, right? And so I read more that summer than I had my entire life before this and got a little certificate. So Mrs. Smith calls up and she says, I want to come over to the house and see the certificate. 
And my mom had, had a, just wasn't happy with that idea because, you know, she felt embarrassed that there were holes in the carpet and, you know, it wasn't the kind of house that she wanted it to be. But nevertheless, Ms. Smith came, and she said, then Paul's dad's got to be there too. So he was there. And for 30 seconds, uh, she was just very lovely and polite to my parents. And then she says to me, she talks with me for 25 minutes as an adult and says, now look, seventh grade, new school, several other elementary schools come together, and nobody knows you from any of those other schools. So you have a unique opportunity. Unless your parents move sometime, this is your opportunity to be a new Paul in the setting. So I objected. I said, but the teachers have the teacher's files. She said, yes, teachers have the teacher's files, but they never read them. I, at heart, in my heart, I said, all right. So, at any rate, now I've already bought into Mrs. Smith's blessing, without the word blessing, but affirmation, praise. Not based on fact, not based on accomplishment, not based on anything that other than here's an alive human being who's been just a remarkable failure, who's 11 years old and almost 12 and and needs every bit of encouragement. Well, that was a tremendous seventh grade. I did like three times as much time as home, on homework as anybody. I would get home, hardly look at the TV, just do homework. I would spend like three hours on what, uh, on, say, the math homework, and, and, and other kids would do it in 30 minutes. But I wanted to live up to now not just Mrs. Smith's vision, but my vision. I worked so hard that I had to be in the hospital the last two weeks of school. Total exhaustion. I could not pick up a fork. I had the worst case of mononucleosis that that giant hospital had ever seen. So the nurses had to feed me, and they were constantly doing these tests. Uh, but my mind was working fine, and I was just thinking, wow, this is awesome. Uh, you know, and, and the teachers, my mother went to all the teachers, and I said, he doesn't even need to take the exam. He's been such a great student. We'll just give him an A. And they, all the classes did that. I wish that any teacher would have said that to our kids, right? <laughs> but nevertheless, um, so I recovered, and, and that summer, it just as I and I had you know, our, tr- our family had been in church a lot. I just really understood, had an encounter with Jesus to understand that Mrs. Smith was a hundred percent of my transformation, but it was a hundred percent also Jesus and grace. So um, I got into a college bound track, was salutatorian of a high school class of 300. I was the top math student, top science student, top orator for the class. And, and even I uh, you know, uh, finished my dissertation, PhD dissertation at the University of Virginia in record time, 13 months from uh, even uh, just starting to write the proposal 
but, but God has gifted me because through the awesome Melchizedek-type ministry of Ethel Smith. Now, so the rest of my life, I've been trying to be Ethel Smith to other people. And, uh, and sometimes it works, sometimes not. Uh, but uh, the most important thing, I think, is to recognize that Ethel Smith didn't make this up. Uh, even Melchizedek didn't make this up. It is a God thing that he made us. Maybe resemble animals uh, in, uh, in biological ways, but God pre- keeps us as precious in his sight, and we can live up, the Melchiz- live up to the Melchizedek priesthood, which, by the way, the whole chapter in the book of Hebrews explains why Jesus is the Melchizedek priesthood, because of this extraordinary focus, not, you know, uh, not on rules and not on inheriting. Uh, Melchizedek was a nobody, didn't have any you know, special lineage, uh, but he was a God person, eager to be of service to God Most High, and I invite all of you to do the same. Be like Melchizedek. Be like Mrs. Smith. Uh, see the good, even in someone who curses you. Because that is the grace of God working through your own mind and through your word. God bless you all. Oh, and by the way, I have an assignment. Before the refreshment time is over, everybody blesses at least three people. Now, if you say, oh, you look good or whatever, that's, that's all right. But that's not blessing yet, right? It's who they are and what they shall do. Or who they are or what they shall do. And uh, we will all be far more empowered in God and God's grace. Because that's the gospel. Melchizedek had the gospel 2,000 years before Jesus. God bless you all.